During these trying times, it's important that we unite and come together in a common cause to fight together, alone, together. We want you to know that we're there for you with a message of hope each and every week that can be found at escapingthecave.com and hand-delivered via an authentic Escaping the Cave podcast feed. So sit back and enjoy another message of positivity and hope from Escaping the Cave, brought to you by Carl's Jr. and your friends at escapingthecave.com. You didn't believe that shit, did you? Howdy, Tonsilla Files, and welcome to a long overdue episode of Escaping the Cave. Tonsilla Expot, EscapingTheCave.com. No Twitter to speak of. Fuck Twitter. <laughs> and there is no Facebook page. I'm your congenial host, Todd. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? It's been a long time. Comparatively speaking, anyway, about four weeks. It'll be four weeks on Saturday since I've released an episode. Unintentionally. Still, my friend Matt tonight feels like this. All I can find are piles of shit to heap upon this mountain of shit. Collective shit. Each and every one of us are living each and every day. It's been that way for several weeks. And honestly, I could not bring myself to come into this room, despite the abundance of material. I've told a few people in the last several weeks, last couple of months actually, that this pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus, and everything about it, everything about the reaction to it, everything about the media, everything about the tribalism is landing in my wheelhouse for what I talk about on this show and what I have been talking about on the show, at least for the last year. Uh, year next week, by the way. And despite all of that, despite all of it, I've been collecting material, I've been reading, I've been paying attention. I've got, you know, a lot of stuff here. I've got about 11 pages typed up of notes right here that I probably will not get to, at least in this episode. But despite all of that, despite it being in my wheelhouse, despite it applying directly to everything that I talk about, my little personal obsession, I have not been able to bring myself into this studio and sit down and talk about it. Simply because I think it's twofold. First and foremost, it's depressing. It's incredibly depressing. There's no, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say this right off the bat, but I'm not seeing any hope out there. Everything that I'm seeing, every trend that I see, despite the piano music and the hashtags and every each and every you know, commercial telling us, oh, we're in this together. Are we? Are we really? Are you sure? It sure as hell doesn't seem that way to me. So every trend that I'm seeing is a dark one. It takes us to a very black place very soon, and it doesn't have anything to do with the pandemic. It has to do with this state 
of virtual civil war that we're already in. It doesn't seem that way. And for a while, you know, maybe through March or a good portion of March, it didn't seem that way. Everybody was just kind of freaked out about what this was going to do, what this could do to us. But the problem is that depending upon which political religion you're a member of, which congregation you pray with, that determines everything about how you perceive the reality of what we're living through right now. And those things are mutually exclusive. Those two things, those two groups, two main groups anyway, are antagonistic. They operate and function within two different realities. And each of those realities casts the other as the enemy. It is a political civil war. We just haven't started shooting each other yet. How long? I ask you this. How long can we go like this until we start? I mean, have you watched... Of course you've watched. What else are you going to do? Most of you are locked up, cooped up in your homes like I am. I've been, I haven't left this, uh, this area except to go to the dumpster and take a couple of walks out in the nature preserve, which have preserved <laughs> my sanity, at least a lot of it. Some of it. I haven't left here in a month. It's going to be five weeks on Monday. What I think I can't even keep track of the weeks now. <laughs> it's been at least four. I think it's been, I think it's going to be five weeks on Monday. Whenever the Michigan uh, stay-at-home order went into effect, I left a few hours before that to go stock up on some things. I haven't left. It's really hard to watch what's going on, to pay attention to the news, to the current events, and not just feel overwhelmed. And particularly from the angle that I'm taking, you know, trying to pay attention, trying to evaluate the news, trying to pay attention to the social media echo chambers, that got to be too much. I finally (laughs) have virtually completed uh, that digital detox that I was talking about last year. Uh, At least as far as social media goes, I had to finally get rid of everyone from my long lost past. Everybody from the Bill Clinton era and most of the people from the George W. Bush era and all the ones from the Ronald Reagan era are gone. I liked some of those people. I didn't want to see them go. I really didn't. But the problem was that those people were connected to other people that I want nothing to do with. And the horseshit bullshit, propaganda, disinformation, and just utter brazen, strutting, prancing stupidity that was being shit into my studio as I would come down and sit down at this computer. The things that I would have to suffer just simply by logging on to a platform, Facebook, that was connected to other people. And maybe this is wrong. I don't know. I'll leave such judgments to you. It doesn't matter. This is what's happening. And probably because I understand this better than most people, it was making me despise them as human beings. People I liked. Seeing this strutting stupidity, this addiction to performing for the crowd, 
the virtual social media crowd showing off your ideological faith with brazen acts of rhetorical stupidity on a regular basis was getting to the point where I didn't want to be associated with some of these people. I did not, I felt ashamed that I had those people as friends. Is that right? Is that wrong? (laughs) Probably not. And I can tell you this. I got rid of everybody. I am down. I swear to God, I've got a bunch of travel contacts who are just simply there so I can keep in touch with them just in case I want to. Other than the travel people, which number about 18, the rest are gone. Except for six. Six people. Only two of which I think I've ever laid, three of which, I'm sorry, three of which I've ever laid eyes upon. The others are from the same family out in California. Hi, guys. That's it. That's all I've got. And a funny thing's happened. It's been about 11 days since that, since that, that great purge, the purge of the past. And I've actually started to kind of like those people again. I kind of miss them. I don't dis- despise them. I don't see them with, with disdain. I don't feel embarrassment about being associated with them anymore. Because I don't see their stupidity, the stupid performance art showing off. That's all it is, man. That's all it is. I've talked about uh, performance addiction in, on this podcast before. The dopamine addiction, the rush of putting out something that other people like or agree with, and the little dopamine hit you get every time somebody clicks that like button, and the rush you get from going into the rhetorical coliseum and doing righteous battle with your ideological enemy in front of everyone else. If you've got 500 friends in your Facebook friends list, you're essentially seeing yourself as doing battle in front of of 500 people. And so do the people you're doing battle with. If they're battling you on your profile, well, they've got to save face just as much as you'd like to win and show off for your fans. That's what this is. It's performance art. Performance-based stupidity. This is nothing more than four-year-olds showing off for their friends. And once that ended... Once I was not connected to it anymore, I kind of started to remember, you know what? I like these guys. I do. I really like them when they're not that. There's an element of hypocrisy here. I'd like to, I'd like to think of it as an element of understanding, but I've done this too. I understand it. I know where it comes from. I used to engage in this better than most people. <laughs> I understand it. I get it. I, I do. I really do. I need to be away from it because there are times, and I've noticed this, and when I've got these people in my feed, I'm I'm scrolling through, I really get the urge to get back in it, to get back at it. Like I want to just sit down at the keyboard and just and beat the hell out of somebody. I want to humiliate them. (laughs) I want to show off my brilliance. I do. I feel it. I feel that old twinge, but as soon as I sit down, and as soon as I start to type, it's like, oh, shouldn't be doing this at all. Because I know where it's going to go. I know where it's going to end. 
and some of the stuff you don't understand that other people are seeing this. That you're not just you know doing engaging in this battle with the people you're arguing with. Other people are paying attention to it, and they're making judgments and decisions, evaluations silently in the privacy of their own phone. Right? You're not helping anything. The agitation, the bilateral agitation shit doesn't help anything. The people who are watching this aren't, most of them aren't impressed by your rhetorical political brilliance and your wordsmanship. Most of them aren't. There are going to be some that are ideologically aligned with you that may see you as some kind of virtual cyber hero. But a lot of people are just watching, God, conservatives are assholes. Holy shit, liberals are just pretentious cunts. You're reflecting, you're, you're reflecting your ideology on people who may not have already determined which way they're going to go, which way they're going to vote, or what they are. A lot of people who have no political affiliation, no ideological loyalty to either brand, I think a lot of times they see this shit going on and they just withdraw. They silently make judgments about you and about your ideology, about your political cult. That doesn't help you. I know this happens a lot more than people let on. Anyway, I understand it. I get it. I've engaged in it. I understand the rush. I understand the performance addiction better than most people. I talked about this last year in a couple of different podcasts. I got the insight from the uh, stand-up comedian, uh, stand-up comedian community in Chicago a few years ago when I lived there. Performance addiction is a real thing, man. It really is. And what I'm afraid is that that sort of performance addiction that has killed, literally killed, I think it's a, a, a huge part of the substance abuse problem that you see with performers because there's a void there. You can never fill it. You can go on stage and you can perform and you get the love and the adulation, blah, blah, blah. Oh, they love me. They love me. Yay, I feel great. I need more. And you always need more, and you always need more, and you always need more. It's a hole, it's a void that can never be filled. And I think that these platforms, and they're engineered, purposely engineered dopamine hits. These dopamine machines where people have to go off and they have to show off and they have to get this approval, they have to get this, this validation from their audience. And every time they get a little validation, they get a little dopamine hit. I think that's creating something in the general public that's been pervasive throughout the entertainment industry forever. And it's an addiction. It really is. I know that's counterintuitive. I know a lot, of, a lot of people probably never thought about that, and they're sitting there, oh, that's just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Monitor your own processes. Monitor how you feel when you post something and somebody hits that like button, you get the little notification. Muffy likes this. How do you feel? What does that do to you? Do you want more of it? Most people don't pay attention to this kind of stuff, but you should. You really, really, really should. You should pay attention to what that does to you and how you want more of it. I talked before about how I thought, I, you know, I, I, how, do I, how do I really get into this? I do sit down every now and then and I, I get this twinge, this twitch to engage 
this twitch to go back to that and really sort of assert myself in these conversations. And almost always I get this, this feeling almost like PTSD. Like, oh, shit, I don't want to get into this. I don't, oh, shit. And I thought that's what it was, right? I thought maybe I had engaged too much in this and that I just was sort of like I had an aversion to any kind of online warfare. <laughs> like, like PTSD. That's kind of what it felt like. Like, no, I don't want to do this. And I thought maybe for a while that maybe my skin was getting a little bit too thin. You know, that I just didn't want to deal with, uh, you know, uh, people arguing with me and, and, and attacking me anymore when I used to really get off on it. But that's not it. I don't want to engage and experience the brazen stupidity anymore. It's as simple as that. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. I don't mind people arguing with me if they're doing it from a, a legitimate place, an authentic place. A position of trying to get to the truth instead of proselytizing Scripture. And 95%, I swear to God, I don't think that, I think that total may be low. 95% of the people that you're engaging with on social media, be it Facebook or Twitter, are proselytizing. They're not seeking anything, they are preaching. You can tell so. Uh, it's embarrassing. I am embarrassed for you, the collective you. I am embarrassed for the collective you and how often I can tell before you post it what you're going to say and what angle you're going to come from. I roll my eyes. More often than not, I just, you know, God, I don't want to deal with this person. It's not fear. It's not PTSD. I'm fed the fuck up. Fed the fuck up. F-T-F-U. Fed the fuck up. Give me a hashtag. I know where you're coming from. And some of you, oh, this is fun. Some of you will pretend you're like all sensible and everything. And then you'll get to a point, here comes the preaching. It's like the guy on the street who walks up, so how you doing? Really beautiful weather we're having today. Paul, I really like your car. Have you heard the word of Christ? And it's like, oh my God, I don't want to be cynical. I don't. But Jesus Christ, you prove me right over and over and over and over again. I just, I don't want it anymore. That's it. That's all there is to it. I've gotten to the point where I am more concerned about getting this shit right without having to deflect proselytizer after proselytizer, preacher after preacher, minister after minister, politician after politician, amateur propagandist after amateur propagandist. You're not telling me anything new. Most of you are not thinking. Most of you are reciting. There's a huge difference between cognition and recitation. There is a huge difference between seeking and preaching. And most people confuse those things. They confuse re-articulating someone else's thoughts, something they've heard somewhere else on television or another Facebook post, or perhaps at the Democratic National Committee's, I don't know, presentation of their, their platform, their plaque. They take that, they re-articulate it, and they confuse that for thought. 
They haven't put legitimate thought, legitimate effort into figuring out what it is that they actually think. They just parrot things. H.L. Mencken said that the vast majority of people go through their entire lives without having an original thought. They just repeat things over and over and over and over again. I don't know what percent. I think he may have said a percentage. I forget the quote. I have 80% in my head. I think that's low. Thinking is hard work. Thinking is humbling. Is it weird to hear me talk about humility? (laughs) Part of the thing and part of the process and part of the reason, small part of the reason, but a reason nonetheless that I haven't been podcasting for the last month, is I've had to go back and I've had to rethink a lot of things. I've touched on this before. This isn't just, this isn't brand new. When I was releasing these uh, podcasts last year, I had positioned myself in my head and put forth on the podcast that I thought Edward Bernays was a villain. Like he had devised this whole propaganda system on which capitalism and advertising has been based for, what, 100 years or so. Oh, he's evil for making that. I don't think he was anymore. I've come to have a greater understanding of both evolutionary psychology, social psychology, basic herd mind, the ego. Propaganda is inevitable. It's something that's always going to be there because we want it. We demand it. Thinking is hard work. We want something that's going to elevate us upon to a pedestal at the center of the universe, putting us in a righteous position, a position of righteousness relative to the rest of the world, the rest of the country, the rest of the neighborhood, a position of righteousness relative to the church across the street, the political, the ideological cult over there. Ours, however, oh, is the word of Christ. Once we can find a path to that, we don't have to think anymore. Our tribe is superior to that one. And we will do our best to dominate that tribe. We shall supplant that tribe. This will be our territory and not that despicable tribes over there. There are elements to this as well. Other elements. Data overload I've talked about, that's still a huge thing going through my head. Oh, my God, it's getting bigger. That data overload thing, it's incredible. And Walter Lippmann talked a lot about him. I decided over the course of the last month to go and dig through a biography on the guy. Finally, Finally ordered it, started reading it. That man had most of this figured out. He's a pioneer in the um, data overload, confused, bewildered herd field. In public opinion, I've talked about that in 1922. He released that. I think in 1925, he released The Phantom Public. And those two books are the first that I've seen that have talked about how people cannot possibly understand the world beyond the tip of their nose. You have no idea of the world other than what you can see and what you can physically interact with in the first person. None of us can. I'm included there. And if you're not careful, 
And if you're not vigilant about your informational sources, it's so easy to hoodwink you because you're not there and you're inclined to believe any message that'll reinforce your already established stereotypes and prejudices, whatever stereotype, whatever prejudice elevates you atop that pedestal. You are at its mercy because you cannot see it for yourself. Lippmann put this idea out 100 years ago. Radio was barely a thing. Barely a thing. Now it's 2020. And each and every one of us have these devices in our pocket where we can be pinged from across the globe. How many news channels, how many informational sources do we have now as compared to 1922? Yeah, we're connected. Yeah, we have greater access to information, greater reach. We know less about the world now than they did 100 years ago. Because we cannot decipher truth from bullshit. No one, no one, no one. Has even, even if you're socially distanced, even if you're locked down in your apartment every day or your home every day, and you're taking all this information in every minute of every waking hour, you're taking all this information and you're trying to fact check it, you're trying to cross reference it, you're trying to see what's real, what is it. You can't. Nobody has the time or the intellectual capacity or the patience to do that. We do not know what's going on. We do not know who to believe. It's a problem. We're seeing the the results of that now. By the time this is released and uploaded, or downloaded, I guess, by you guys, we're going to be over 50,000 deaths in this country. I think we're approaching 900,000 infections here in the U.S., A lot of states are talking about relaxing the social distancing guidelines now. Some states are going to do it. There's also been, um, I guess, some funding that was passed, I think, yesterday, if I remember right. But I think it included a a shitload of money for uh, COVID tests. We'll see. Supposedly, the testing is going to ramp up and the gates of some of these uh, states are going to be flung open. The cattle's going to be released back out into the pasture to co-mingle and infect. Just imagine this scenario. Right about the time the testing starts to ramp up, more people are tested, the gates fling open. Antibody tests, at least the preliminary results of some of these antibody tests show that uh, actual infection rates could be as high as 10 to 15% of the population. You start testing, you start releasing people back out into the wild at the same time. How do you know? Because you know damn well that those infection numbers, the numbers, not the rate, the numbers, once testing ramps up, those numbers are going to skyrocket. How do you know what to attribute that to? It depends. It's going to depend upon your ideological religion once again. Because you, I presume, are not an infectious disease expert. 
You can listen to Dr. Fauci. You can listen to Dr. Burks. Sure. <laughs> Most people won't. Most people won't unless what they're saying aligns with the political scripture. People have attached themselves to a cognitive vehicle already. They've hitched their wagon to the red or blue cognitive horse. And so when those numbers start coming in, you're going to seek out, most of you will seek out information that lines up with the Scripture. Because we do not know what to believe. We have no idea. That is a problem. It wasn't a problem maybe when, when society wasn't so interconnected or the globe, this mass global organism, wasn't so connected 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 30 years ago. You know, there was more of a local field. There was a local focus 30, 50 years ago. But now everything is global. Everybody's connected to everybody else, at least potentially. And the war for the American mind, the war for the American pseudo-environment, the American narrative, the individual narrative, continues. And if you don't know what to believe, you get yourself in a crisis, you get yourself put under stress, under pressure. Chaos is really fertile ground for demagogues, authoritarians, <laughs> shysters. And that's what we're living in. I talked about informational anarchy in another episode not too long back. And uh, that's exactly what this is turning into. And as we move forward, I don't even want to talk about these daily press briefings, but for Christ's sakes, how can anyone see this? How can anyone see the daily press briefings as anything but campaign commercials and propaganda dispatches? The man is trying to agitate his base against the other guy, Mitch McConnell, everybody else. Each political party is doing the same thing. The, the, the TV networks, the national news networks, I did that in air quotes, like CNN. I gave CNN a compliment a month ago, holy shit, about six weeks back. Oh my God, it's worse than it was before now. Boutique news media, agitation media, good guys against bad guys, God devil shit. Where this is headed in the coming weeks and months, to me personally, I have never been more horrified about being right in my life. I never saw it being triggered up by a pandemic. But this is just the beginning. These protests we're seeing. The tyranny of inconvenience. I shall go out in March. I got so much here. Literally, I have 11 pages of notes, and I haven't even touched them. My recording thing says I'm about a little over 30 minutes in. Probably won't be that long once it's edited, but... <sighs> I've been reading a lot of Thomas Hobbes lately. You know Thomas Hobbes? He wrote Leviathan. First part of that book is called On Man. He sort of does like this little dissection of human nature. And one of the things he gets to in that book, and I, I, I find it really difficult to disagree with this and to find fault with his reasoning, is that people have the, their own specific interests, their own wants, their own clansmanship. And those things will inevitably collide if they're not managed and maintained. 
I believe I haven't gotten to the uh, I'm not really all that interested in his ideas on government, to be honest with you. But I think the uh, premise of the thesis anyway is that if you want to prevent your society from eventually falling into civil war, into conflict, that you've got to have some sort of an authoritarian totalitarian leader, a draconian leader who controls and manages the public. Otherwise, the wants and needs, the selfishness of the public will turn it against each other. And you're eventually going to have a civil war. The part about the totalitarian and the the despot, I'll leave that alone for right now. But it's really, really, really hard to find fault with what he's saying about individuals. Unity via division. I've been talking about that a lot. The woke flakes love to talk about identity politics and, and at the same time, out of the other side of their mouth, talk about togetherness and the brotherhood of man. Bullshit. There's no such thing as unity via a division. That's oil and water. That's like throwing the hair dryer in the bathtub. You cannot have unity via a division. Because that identity politics stuff is part of what Hobbes, I think, was talking about. You gather these people into their self-interested clans, and they're going to turn Turn on and try to dominate, compete for power against the other clans. Unity via division does not work. Like I said, it's really hard to find anything positive. I feel like I'm, I'm heaping shit upon shit, and I apologize for that. But one morbid silver lining that I have found, one, and it's really questionable, But it's that this pandemic, while it's horrid, is really honestly, if you think about it, it's relatively mild in relation to the collective nightmare of a worst-case scenario. Think about that for a second. How bad this could be if this was, you know, incredibly infectious and incredibly deadly at the same time. Can you imagine a 13 to 15% infection rate if this had like a 60% mortality rate? In that context, this pandemic is relatively mild. And provided human beings still retain the capacity to learn anything instead of just preach and fight, which is debatable, <laughs> this might prove valuable as a sort of a, I don't know, a twisted trial run for the inevitable doomsday virus, or God forbid, an actual biological attack. I mean, are we going to learn anything from this? Are we learning anything now? I hope so. But hopefully we are as a people, as a collective. We better be. And again, like I said, if you think the sniping's bad now, as I kill my own silver lining, just wait a couple of weeks. And when this bug, when this pandemic finally recedes, and there's a vaccine, and you know we're not really uh, thinking about this, it's not you know, dominating our lives anymore, the autopsy of this... Is going to be a spectacle. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be a cluster defuck. As will the fighting about the autopsy. Dr. Baden is going to be a referee. <laughs> Still available for children's parties. Use the promo code coronavirus. Shoot me an email and I'll gladly come and perform at your kid's bar mitzvah. Children love me. 
That's a lie. Kids hate me. Your girlfriend's cousin has a little kid. She looks at me like, I don't like you. She's only like three. Oh, well. I get that a lot. Escapethecave.com. At ETC pod. But then again, fuck Twitter. Uh, what else? No Facebook page. Oh, yeah, check those subscriptions. Make sure you are subscribed to an Escaping the Cave feed if you want to get these. That is a warning at this point. (sighs) Thanks for clicking in. More on the way. We'll talk to you soon.